Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Good morning. If you have your Bible, then go ahead and grab it. We will be spending our time this morning in the book of Revelation. Say that with a little fear and trepidation. Revelation chapter 21 is where we will be, and we'll look at the first seven verses. So Revelation chapter 21, and we'll look at verses 1 through Seven. Last week, if you were here, we spent our time answering this question, what is the good life? This question is a question that every person seeks to answer every single day of his or her life. Every action that he or she takes is to this end of reaching the good life. And we all have a a natural desire to be happy, to live with purpose, to live with meaning. It's not wrong. The problem is not in the desire, but it's in how we seek to have that desire fulfilled. This looks different in each of our lives, but the desire for the good life remains. And what we saw was that Jesus is the only one who can give life abundant and we will be restless having this this craving for something more until we find rest in him the good life does not consist in material possessions or or good health or a loving family or a successful career those aren't bad things but they don't make up the good life because someone having none of those things can certainly have the good life because life abundant is found in treasuring Jesus. Our soul was made for him and he alone can satisfy that that deep longing within us. Treasuring Jesus is the good life and it's the good life in every country in the world at any time in history with any amount of money in the bank, any family situation. And when we treasure Christ, as we saw, it comes in recognized dependence on Him. And that breeds humility in us. That pride has no place in the Christian life. We follow our Good Shepherd, and our Good Shepherd laid down His life to purchase for us the good life. As we saw From John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, while Christ is the one who came to give us life and life abundantly. So any alternative to Christ will ultimately lead to disappointment, loss, and death. There are are thousands of other options, but, but really it's two choices. Only one leads to the good life, and that is faith in Christ. Even, even if your wildest dreams come true, 
You get the job. You get the money. You get the family. You get the successful career. How long do you have to enjoy it before you stand before God? Because it will lead to death if it's lived apart from treasuring Christ. And what we're going to see today is the eternal side of this abundant life. The beauty of the gospel is not just that that Christ gives us meaning and he gives us purpose and he gives us joy and he gives us peace in the here and now as, as great as that is, but the wonder of the gospel is that this good life we enjoy here and now, we get to enjoy for all eternity. That means that when we treasure Christ, the treasure we have here, we'll get to have for all eternity. We get to be with our treasure. We get to stay with him. We get to live with him. And the joy we feel now is actually an anticipation of what's to come. Think of it like, like an exciting vacation. I, I love to go on cruises. I've been on two cruises in my life. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise. It'll change your life. I absolutely love it. I would go on one tomorrow. I would have bags packed tonight if you said, let's go. And planning a cruise can take some effort, right? If you've ever done one, you've got to choose which cruise line. There's not that many, but you've got to choose one, right? Then you've got to pick out a date. You've got to buy tickets. Maybe you've got to buy a plane ticket, hotel accommodations. Where are we going to stay? How are we going to get to the ship? But once you're ready, everything's planned, everything's packed, you're ready to go, the date gets circled on the calendar. All right, on this date, we are going on the cruise, and the excitement begins to build. Maybe you begin by counting down the months. All right, six months. I can get through this workday. Six months, I get to go on a cruise. And then you, you count down weeks, right? All right, eight weeks, almost there, almost there. We can make it. And seven weeks, and then six weeks. And then you get a little closer, and you're counting down days. It's ten days. It's nine days. It's eight days. And, and the joy is real. The excitement is, is real, And that joy will be fulfilled when you actually step on the ship. Faith in Christ, treasuring Him above everything else, is the good life in the present. But it's just the beginning. You see, in eternity, we actually get to be with our treasure. The anticipation, the longing that we have in the here and now will be fully satisfied. No longer will it be a a distant hope that's out there somewhere, like a date circled on a calendar. We will have stepped onto the ship. No longer will we need faith in Christ because we will see Christ. He will be ours for all eternity. So what we're going to think about today is is that reality. The coming eternity where those who are in Christ will dwell with him. And it's a a glorious truth and it will bring, I pray, security in, in the middle of a life of uncertainty. In the midst of difficulties, we can have peace. It can bring joy in the midst of sorrow And it can bring even greater joy in the midst of happiness. And we need to see 
this, the new heaven and the new earth, our eternity with Christ as our eternal home, and we need to make preparations for it. And we need to be excited for it. So that's how we're going to spend our time this morning. Hopefully you are there with me. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Would you pray with me, and we'll dive in. Father in heaven, we give you praise for the opportunity to worship you. I thank you for the words and the truth that was sung just a few minutes ago, and I pray that we would be willing, able, ready to shout the hymn of heaven where we will worship you in your presence for all eternity. That That's where our hope is. It's not in a utopia in the here and now. It's in Christ. And in him there is life and life abundant. And it's not just abundant life for the here and now, as glorious as that is. It's eternal life. And so I pray that you would speak through your word to help prepare us for that day. And you would be glorified as we worship you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So here we are. We have reached the destination of every follower of Christ. This is where everything has been leading. We get a glimpse through the Apostle John of where we will spend eternity. And it's this picture of our future that, that should give us direction in the present life. Because when you know how the story ends, you can traverse the path a little bit easier, can you not? Some of you might do this when you read a book. Like you start reading your story and things start to get a little interesting. And so just in case you read the last chapter or the last few pages, just to make sure everything works out right. And then you go back and you're able to pick up where you left off with, with your hesitations and your anxiety eased a little bit. Some of you might do it in, in an action movie. Think of an, like an older action movie that you're watching for the first time. You're enjoying it, but the hero gets, in, gets into danger, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, is he going to make it out of this? And then you remember, oh yeah, there's a sequel to this. Everything works out. When you know how the story ends, you're able to, to go through the story a little bit easier. We all want to know that everything will be okay when we close our eyes in death. 
And we can believe in eternal life, but, but what does that really look like? Where will we be? And the last two chapters of Revelation provide an answer to these questions. And it's not exhaustive by any means. Revelation does not answer every speculative question that you or I might have. But what it does is provide a picture of the life we have to look forward to in Christ. And God and His love and His grace toward us gives us exactly what we need. We don't need every one of our questions answers, otherwise God would have done it. He has given us what we need. He's given us the conclusion to the greatest story ever told that we might have confidence in the present and be hopeful for the future. And where we began reading in in chapter 21, it's immediately following, you might be able to see it as a heading in chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. It happens in chapter 20. And this is important. This is important. For the new heaven and the new earth are reserved for those who believe in Christ. That's who it is for. Those who believe in Christ. Those whose names have been written in the book of life. By this point in chapter 21, Satan and his dominions have been defeated. They've been cast into the lake of fire along with Every person who has lived in sinful rebellion against the God of the universe and against his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll pause for a moment because I think there's an important lesson here. Sin requires judgment. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, separated from God in hell or the lake of fire. This is the just penalty for every sin. Sin is not small. It's not insignificant. You may not think it's a big deal because the the earthly consequences might not be too severe, but that doesn't make it small. So, for instance, you're telling a lie to your parents as a teenager might not seem that massive to you when you get caught. It might not seem like that big of a deal. Your parents are disappointed in you. You've lost their trust. But really, the consequences aren't that bad. But we forget that sin is ultimately against God. So telling that lie, for instance, might not be severe against your parents, but it's infinitely heinous against the God who is himself truth. That can't be overlooked. An infinite offense has occurred because it's against an infinite God. The severity is because of the character of God. And an infinite offense requires an infinite judgment. And that is an eternity separated from God in That's every sin. You can take lying and replace it with every other sin. Any sin, any action, any word, any thought, any affection that's against God. That's the just penalty. And you will face judgment. Every single one of us will. 
And that's a terrifying thought because we know we're guilty. You might try to hide it. You can put on the mask. Everything's fine. But unless your conscience has been so hardened, so seared, that you no longer feel anything at all, you know you're guilty. And, and you, might, you might argue with me. Hey, nobody's perfect. All right, Hannah Montana taught me that. Nobody's perfect. And really, you aren't, you aren't that bad of a person. And you're, you're not wrong. That nobody is perfect apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not an excuse for anything. That's not justification before God. God doesn't grade on a curve. Was that, was that a thing for you guys when you were in school? Have you ever taken a class that's so daggone hard or the teacher just makes tests so difficult for whatever reason that most people fail? You ever been a part of that class? Usually there's one or two people that just ace everything for whatever reason. We don't like those people, right? But our great hope, that, that test where you just consistently, the whole class is getting 50s and 40s, your whole entire hope is that that teacher is going to look at the grades and say, all right, I'll give them each 10 points. I'll give everybody 15 or 20 points just so they get closer to passing. And there are a lot of people in the world, and some even in this room right now, who your entire hope for eternity is on God grading on a curve. You argue, hey, I'm not the best. I'll admit that. I've made some mistakes in life, but man, I'm better than some people. I'm, I'm surely better than somebody like an Adolf Hitler. God, God will let me in. And man, that's a dangerous place to be. Because the holiness of God does not allow to grade on a curve. Its end is death. And for those who are in Christ, we don't avoid judgment. Okay, as a follower of Christ, we do not avoid judgment. We pass through judgment because our debt's already been paid. At the cross... The consequence for our sin has been served in full. He died in our place. And he rose again to bring life through faith in him. We don't miss judgment. We've been judged. Our sin has been judged. Christ is the one who is judged in our place. Our hope is not, I'm better than so-and-so. Our hope is not, God will help me out. I'll do so much and God will just get me over the edge. Our hope is that Christ was condemned to death in our place. That's it. And upon completion of judgment we leave that scene and we read something spectacular look at look at verse one then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more a new heaven and a new earth arrive 
on the scene. The first heaven and the first earth had, had passed away. And, and this word new here means qualitatively new, in that it, it shares commonality with what came before. It's not starting from scratch. There's continuity. It has its origin in the old. So, for instance, think of a new truck, a brand-new Chevy Silverado 2024 is a new truck, brand-new. You can own it if you want to, like, get a second mortgage on your house. Like, they're outrageous. But that brand-new truck has a lot in common, does it not, with every other truck, every other Silverado that has come before it. There is continuity there. So the new heaven and the new earth are just that. They are new. But they're going to be recognizable from what has passed away. There is continuity between the two. And the text says, interestingly, the sea is no more. The sea throughout the Bible is a, a representation of chaos. People fear the sea. It's unruly. It's powerful. And if you remember, even in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where God initially creates everything, it was without form, it was void. And we see, we read that the Spirit is hovering above the waters, and God brings creation out of that. In that scene, the sea is a representation of the chaos that God brings order out of. So in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no sea, there is no chaos, there is only order. There is only security. There is only peace. Praise the Lord. And look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I love this. How is the city where Christians will dwell for eternity described? Like a bride adorned for her husband. Husband. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, but these few words of John, I believe, are worth more than a thousand pictures. John sees this city coming down in splendor, and he says, that's like a bride. That's like a bride adorned for her wedding day. There are few sights more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day. And I know for a fact there has been no bride more beautiful than my bride on our wedding day. A bride is a beautiful sight, but it's a beauty that goes deeper than the, service, than the surface, does it not? It's not just she looks nice. There's more being conveyed there. There's beauty, but there's, there's hope there. There's love. She's radiating forth. People are in awe. If you're there... You cannot take your eyes off of the bride. And this is how John describes the new Jerusalem. And what I love is that Christians in Scripture are, are described also as the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ takes us in the midst of our our sin, our shame, our filthiness, our unworthiness, and he cleanses us. He washes us with the word. He sanctifies us with his word. Jesus prays in John chapter 17, 17 to the Father, right? Sanctify them in your truth. Do you remember? Your word is truth. And why does he do that? Why does he cleanse us? Why does he sanctify us? The text says that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without wrinkle or spot, in total and complete holiness. So so why is that important for our text? God, in his infinitely creative ways, always fills, or always fits the creature for its environment. Does he not? As much as people tell me it's going to happen, pigs are not going to fly, right? They don't have wings. Birds might swoop down and catch a fish, but they're not going to live in the water. As much as I would love it, I will never have the opportunity to take a dolphin on a walk down my street. It's not going to happen. Why? Because God made them for a specific environment. Pigs are made for the ground, birds are made for the air, dolphins are made for water. So it's amazing that God makes a new heaven and a new earth as an environment that's proper, that's fitting for a renewed people. The world is holy. It's pure. It's like a bride adorned for her husband. And his people have been made pure in holiness, like a bride adorned for her husband husband. So when Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 3, a familiar passage, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, I may bring you, that we can be together, right? I think he has this in mind, that in his death and in his resurrection, he makes a people for a place And he prepares a place for his people. Each is fitting for the other. A holy people and a holy place. Like a bride for her husband. And it's a place that he can dwell. Look at verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There comes a loud voice from the throne. It reminds me of like a PA announcement. Everybody can hear it. Behold, it says, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What makes this place paradise is not what follows next in verse 4. Namely the absence of pain or crying or tears. 
What makes this place paradise is God with us. God is the treasure. God is what we get to look forward to in eternity. The redemption found in Christ in this moment is made complete. We've been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, and now in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be reconciled to him. We'll live with him. He will dwell with his people. The former things that separated us from God have passed away. There are no barriers between us and God. We get God. And oftentimes, I fear we get verses 3 and 4 backwards. As if the reason we look forward to eternity is because of the absence of tears and death and pain and mourning and crying. And I don't want to lessen that. That's a spectacular aspect of the new heavens and the new earth. We will live in complete security. We will be at rest and in peace. But that's not the goal. The goal is God. The reason there's no pain, nor suffering, nor crying, nor tears is because we will be with God. The former things that caused us pain are not present because we no longer live in a sinful, cursed world. We're in the presence of the one for whom we have been both made and remade. Pain, death, and sin, they've been eradicated in the purifying presence of God. But often we get this this backwards. We prefer the gift to the giver. It's like we, we get invited to a party from a longtime friend, a friend we haven't seen in years we grew up with. It was our best friend. We lost touch, kind of separated, gone our separate ways, and we get a an invitation in the mail, and come to find out our former friend is now a billionaire. It's a fun invitation to get, right? We get invited to go to a party, and when we arrive, all we can focus on is the gift bag we see on the table that's waiting for us. Now, the reason we want to go to the party is to spend time with our friend, right? The gift bag is an added bonus. Sure. But it's not the point. No more pain, no more death, no more suffering. They're not the goal. God is the goal. God is the treasure of eternity. And we need to understand this. Christ is the goal of this life, and he will be the goal of the next life. Treasuring Christ makes the good life here and now, and in eternity, we actually receive that treasure. We get our treasure. We can't get this wrong. God is what makes eternity desirable. He's the point. Let's keep going. Five through seven. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. So we finish this passage with a declaration about who's in charge. God is the one making all things new. He said he's seated on the throne. (laughs) He's the one in charge here. He tells us these words are trustworthy and true. Why, Why do we have confidence that in the midst of every difficulty, every trial, every hardship, every tear filled eye that things will one day be set right. It's because God is the one who's in control. How do we know that we're going to finish the race? How do we know that all things are going to work out for good for those who love God and have been called according to His purpose? It's because God is the one who will see to it. Our hope is not in our ability to keep ourselves. As if God just got us started and he says, you take it from here. No, God is the one who will bring it about. And we can trust him. Because the promise of the absence of pain is not a promise for this life. It's not. It's a promise for eternity. In fact, we're told in this life you will have trials, you will have tribulation, you will have pain, you will have suffering. But in eternity, we will be satisfied in the presence of the king who is reigning and ruling over all. He declares loudly, it is done. It's done. Nothing is left undone. There are no loose ends. There's no unfinished projects. Oh, I forgot about this. It's done. Judgment has been cast, and Christians are now able to drink from the spring of the water of life that Isaiah told us about in Isaiah 55.1, and Jesus told the woman of Samaria to drink from in John chapter 4. We get to drink from the water, the spring of life. The thirst that we have will be satisfied. We will be safe. And that day is coming. It's not here. It's not right now. We will enter the good life for which we have longed for all of our lives. We've craved meaning. We've craved satisfaction. We've craved love. We've craved permanence. And we'll have it in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be satisfied by the one who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is king. The good life you find And treasuring Christ in the present, I'm very happy to report, will only ever increase in eternity. There will be no loss in eternity. There will only be gain in his presence. So what is left for us to do in the present as we await that glorious day is to be prepared. It's the one who conquers, it says, 
whom he will give the heritage and will be his son. For those who are in Christ, we have the promise that God will finish the work that he started. Do we not? God began it, he will finish it. But what that should rightly lead us to is to following Christ every day. It's getting up with a commitment, today I'm going to treasure Christ. That should instill in us a warlike mentality of I'm going to put my sin to death. It should give us a desire and a drive to gather together in a community called the church that are pursuing the same end. Until Christ returns or he calls us home. The Christian life is not one of passivity. We're not to be lazy. We don't sit on our hands and just wait. We've been given a task to do. We've been called to make disciples of all nations. To bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That's conquering. It's enduring to the end. That's the connection from from last week. It's living the good life of treasuring Christ day after day after day after day in a world that's hostile to God. And you do that every day from the moment of your salvation onward. You reach that final day when it's time to come home, you will have conquered. You will have endured to the end. It's not the one who starts the race, but it's the one who finishes that receives the prize. It's not impressive to start a marathon. I could start a marathon. It's impressive to finish one. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a, it's not a sprint. To finish well, we need to have confidence in our destination. We need to know where we're going. And we must believe that Christ, in his death, and his resurrection, and by his spirit, will bring us home. He has been raised from the dead. And because he's been raised from the dead, those who are in Christ will be raised with him. We're headed to the new heaven and the new earth where we will spend our eternity with the one who is infinitely greater than we can even begin to imagine. The one who will satisfy the deepest longing of our heart. That's where we're headed. Death, then, is not something we should fear. It's a door. It's the final door through which we walk to get to our home. Life is like a a journey. We're getting closer every day, every step we take, getting nearer and nearer to our house. We get excited. We can hear the celebration. And death is the final door. You open the door and you walk through to welcome home, son. You're home now. Everything, all the, all the pain that, that's happened along the journey, it's over. You are safe. You are home. There'll be no pain, nor suffering, nor mourning, nor crying, for all the former things will have passed away. And we will behold the glory of our God, and we will be satisfied in the presence of our Savior and our Lord. Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. So are you prepared for the life to come? 
is that settled for you? Because if you spend all your life in preparations for the here and now, you got the insurance policy, you got the 401k, you're set. But you neglect eternity, everything will be lost. Can you rest assured knowing you're safe in Christ as death approaches? Because we aren't guaranteed another day. And I know <laughs> preachers say that all the time. You aren't guaranteed another day. And so we just, we just log it. Yeah, that's for somebody else. As if we are still going to have another day. But are you prepared to see your king? Are you anxiously, excitedly waiting to see your king? I'm going to get my treasure on that day. Or will you face judgment because you refuse to repent of your pride, your I can do it on my own and submit to Christ? Because you can't do it on your own. That's why Christ had to die and he died and rose again to show he can save and he is ready for those who will believe. So you have the opportunity today, whether you walk down the front during the song or not. I'm not all that concerned about that. But you have the opportunity today to believe in Christ. Whatever objection you have, you're just holding on to, can't get that figured out, so I'm not willing to believe, it's all pride. The good life is found in Christ, and eternal life is only found in Christ. So my prayer is that if you're not a follower of Christ, today would be the day you trust him. And if you are a follower of Christ, that having that date circled, we can have joy and excitement to see our Savior face to face. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope that is in a risen Lord Jesus Christ. You are the one that has mercy on us. You are the one who washes us, sanctifies us like a bride adorned for her husband. And you have prepared a place for us. It's like a bride adorned for her husband. And so, Lord, I pray. I know there's, there's somebody in here that's just holding on to something. They know it. But for whatever reason, pride, they're not willing to lay it aside. And I pray that today in seeing the destination of those who are not in Christ, that every sin deserves judgment, and those in Christ, that our judgment has been fully paid in Christ, that we would see Jesus as our treasure that's worth everything else and that we would run to him who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, anticipating the day where we will dwell with you and far more importantly, you with us. You are our God. We are your people. And I pray you would solidify and give confidence to the wavering, that they need their eyes set on where we're headed, to the excited that it would just inflame them all the more to carry on, press on. And for the one who's stubbornly refusing, I pray today would be the day you 
would draw for the glory of Christ, that the sheep would hear your voice, the voice of the good shepherd, and we would respond. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.